Part two, chapter four, section sixty two of the life of Jesus critically examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two, history of the public life of Jesus. Chapter four, Jesus as the Messiah. Section sixty two. How soon did Jesus conceive himself to be the Messiah? and find recognition as such from others. Jesus held and expressed the conviction that he was the Messiah. This is an indisputable fact. Not only did he, according to the evangelists, receive with satisfaction the confession of the disciples that he was the Christos, Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 and following, and the salutation of the people, Hosanna to the son of David, chapter 21, verse 15 and following, not only did he before a public tribunal, Matthew, chapter 26, verse 64, compare John, chapter 18, verse 37, as well as to private individuals, John, chapter 4, verse 26, chapter 9, verse 37, chapter 10, verse 25, repeatedly declare himself to be the Messiah. But the fact that his disciples after his death believed and proclaimed that he was the messiah is not to be comprehended unless when living he had implanted the conviction in their minds to the more searching question how soon jesus began to declare himself the messiah and to be regarded as such by others the evangelists almost unanimously reply that he assumed that character from the time of his baptism. All of them attached to his baptism circumstances which must have convinced himself, if yet uncertain, and all others who witnessed or credited them, that he was no less than the Messiah. John makes his earliest disciples recognize his right to that dignity on their first interview. Chapter 1, verse 42 and following and matthew attributes to him at the very beginning of his ministry in the sermon on the mount a representation of himself as the judge of the world chapter seven verse twenty one and following and therefore the messiah nevertheless on a closer examination there appears a remarkable divergency on this subject between the synoptical statement and that of john while namely in john jesus remains throughout true to his assertion and the disciples and his followers among the populace to their conviction that he is the messiah in the synoptical gospels there is a vacillation discernible the previously expressed persuasion on the part of the disciples and people that jesus was the messiah sometimes vanishes and gives place to a much lower view of him and even Jesus himself becomes more reserved in his declarations. This is particularly striking when the synoptical statement is compared with that of John, but even when they are separately considered, the result is the same. According to John chapter 6, verse 15, after the miracle of the loaves, the people were inclined to constitute Jesus their messianic king. On the contrary, according to the other three evangelists, either about the same time luke chapter 9 verse 18 and following or still later 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and following, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and following, the disciples could only report, on the opinions of the people respecting their master, that some said he was the resuscitated Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the old prophets. In reference to that passage of John, however, as also to the synoptical one, Matthew chapter 14 verse 33, according to which, some time before Jesus elicited the above report of the popular opinion, the people who were with him in the ship, when he had allayed the storm, fell at his feet and worshipped him as the Son of God. It may be observed that when Jesus had spoken or acted with peculiar impressiveness, individuals, in the exaltation of the moment, might be penetrated with a conviction that he was the Messiah, while the general and calm voice of the people yet pronounced him to be merely a prophet. But there is a more troubling divergency relative to the disciples. In John, Andrew, after his first interview with Jesus, says to his brother, We have found the Messiah. Chapter 1, verse 42 and Philip describes him to Nathanael as the person foretold by Moses and the prophets. Verse 46. Nathanael salutes him as the son of God and king of Israel. Verse 50. And the subsequent confession of Peter appears merely a renewed avowal of what had been long a familiar truth. In the synoptical evangelists, it is only after prolonged intercourse with Jesus and shortly before his sufferings, that the ardent Peter arrives at the conclusion that Jesus is the Christos, ho uios tu theou, tu zontos, Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, and parallel passages. It is impossible that this confession should make so strong an impression on Jesus that, in consequence of it, he should pronounce Peter blessed, and his confession the fruit of immediate divine revelation, as Matthew narrates. Or that, as all the three evangelists inform us, chapter 16, verse 20, chapter 8, verse 30, and chapter 9, verse 21, he should, as if alarmed, forbid the disciples to promulgate their conviction, unless it represented not an opinion long cherished in the circle of his disciples, but a new light, which had just flashed on the mind of Peter, and through him was communicated to his associates. There is a third, equally serious discrepancy relative to the declarations of Jesus concerning his messiahship. According to John, he sanctions the homage which Nathanael renders to him as the son of God and king of Israel in the very commencement of his public career and immediately proceeds to speak of himself under the messianic title, Son of Man, chapter 1, verse 51 and following. To the Samaritans also, after his first visit to the Passover, chapter 4, verses 26 and 39 and following, and to the Jews on the second, verse 46, he makes himself known as the Messiah predicted by Moses. According to the synoptical writers, on the contrary, he prohibits, in the instance above cited, and in many others, the dissemination of the doctrine of his messiahship beyond the circle of his adherents. Farther, 
when he asks his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, he seems to wish that they should derive their conviction of his messiahship from his discourses and actions, and when he ascribes the avowed faith of Peter to a revelation from his heavenly father, he excludes the possibility of his having himself previously made this disclosure to his disciples, either in the manner described by John, or in the more indirect one attributed to him by Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, unless we suppose that the disciples had not hitherto believed his assurance, and that hence Jesus referred the new-born faith of Peter to divine influence. Thus, on the point under discussion, the synoptical statement is contradictory, not only to that of John, but to itself. It appears, therefore, that it ought to be unconditionally surrendered before that of John, which is consistent with itself, and one of our critics has justly reproached it with deranging the messianic economy in the life of Jesus. But here again we must not lose sight of our approved canon, that in glorifying narratives, such as our Gospels, where various statements are confronted, that is the least probable which best subserves the object of glorification. Now this is the case with John's statement, according to which, from the commencement to the close of the public life of Jesus, his messiahship shines forth in unchanging splendor, while, according to the synoptical writers, it is liable to a variation in its light. But though this criterion of probability is in favor of the first three evangelists, it is impossible that the order in which they make ignorance and concealment follow on plain declarations and recognitions of the messiahship of Jesus can be correct, and we must suppose that they have mingled and confounded two separate periods of the life of Jesus, in the latter of which alone he presented himself as the messiah. We find, in fact, that the watchword of Jesus on his first appearance differed not, even verbally, from that of John, who professed merely to be a forerunner. It is the same, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, with which John had roused the Jews, chapter 3, verse 2, and indicates in neither the one nor the other an assumption of the character of Messiah, with whose coming the kingdom of heaven was actually to commence, but merely that of a teacher who points to it as yet future. Hence, the latest critic of the first gospel justly explains all those discourses and actions therein narrated by which Jesus explicitly claims to be the Messiah, or in consequence of which this dignity is attributed to him and accepted, if they occur before the manifestation of himself recorded in John chapter 5, or before the account of the apostolic confession, Matthew chapter 16 as offences of the writer against chronology or literal truth. We have only to premise that as chronological confusion prevails throughout, the position of this confession shortly before the history of the Passion in no wise obliges us to suppose that it was so late before Jesus was recognized as the Messiah among his disciples, since Peter's avowal may have occurred in a much earlier period of their intercourse. This, however, is incomprehensible, 
that the same reproach should not attach even more strongly to the fourth gospel than to the first or to the synoptical writers in general for it is surely more pardonable than the first three evangelists should give us the pre-messianic memoirs in the wrong place than that the fourth should not give them at all more endurable in the former to mingle the two periods than in the latter quite to obliterate the earlier one if then jesus did not lay claim to the messiahship from the beginning of his public career was this omission the result of uncertainty in his own mind or had he from the first a conviction that he was the messiah but concealed it for certain reasons in order to decide this question a point already mentioned must be more carefully weighed in the first three evangelists but not so exclusively that the fourth has nothing similar when jesus effects a miracle of healing he almost invariably forbids the person cured to promulgate the event in these or similar words hora miden i ipes for example the leper matthew chapter eight verse four and parallel passages the blind men matthew chapter nine verse thirty a multitude of the healed matthew chapter twelve verse sixteen the parents of the resuscitated damsel mark chapter five verse forty three above all he enjoins silence on the demoniacs mark chapter one verse thirty four chapter three verse twelve and john chapter five verse thirteen it is said after the cure of the man at the pool of bethesda jesus had conveyed himself away a multitude being in that place thus also he forbade the three who were with him on the mount of the transfiguration to publish the scene they had witnessed matthew chapter seventeen verse nine and after the confession of peter he charges the disciples to tell no man the conviction it expressed luke chapter nine verse twenty one this prohibition of jesus could hardly as most commentators suppose be determined by various circumstantial motives at one time having relation to the disposition of the person healed at another to the humour of the people at another to the situation of jesus rather as there is an essential similarity in the conditions under which he lays this injunction on the people if we discern a probable motive for it on any occasion we are warranted in applying the same motive to the remaining cases this motive is scarcely any other than the desire that the belief that he was the messiah should not be too widely spread when mark chapter one verse thirty four jesus would not allow the ejected demons to speak because they knew him when he charged the multitudes that they should not make him known matthew chapter twelve verse sixteen he evidently intended that the former should not proclaim him in the character in which their more penetrative demoniacal glance had viewed him nor the latter in that revealed by the miraculous cure he had wrought on them in short they were not to betray their knowledge that he was the messiah as a reason for this wish on the part of jesus it has been alleged on the strength of john chapter six verse fifteen that he sought to avoid awakening the political idea of the messiah's kingdom in the popular mind with the disturbance which would be its inevitable result 
this would be a valid reason but the synoptical writers represent the wish partly as the effect of humility matthew in connection with a prohibition of the kind alluded to applying to jesus a passage in isaiah chapter forty two verse one and following where the servant of god is said to be distinguished by his stillness and unobtrusiveness partly in a greater degree as the effect of an apprehension that the messiah at least such an one as jesus would be at once proscribed by the jewish hierarchy from all this it might appear that jesus was restrained merely by external motives from the open declaration of his messiahship and that his own conviction of it existed from the first in equal strength but this conclusion cannot be maintained in the face of the consideration above mentioned that jesus began his career with the same announcement as the baptist an announcement which can scarcely have more than one import an exhortation to prepare for a coming messiah the most natural supposition is that jesus first the disciple of the baptist and afterwards his successor in preaching repentance and the approach of the kingdom of heaven took originally the same position as his former master in relation to the messianic kingdom notwithstanding the greater reach and liberality of his mind and only gradually attained the elevation of thinking himself the messiah this supposition explains in the simplest manner the prohibition we have been considering especially that annexed to the confession of peter for as often as the thought that he might be the messiah suggested itself to others and was presented to him from without jesus must have shrunk as if appalled to hear confidently uttered that which he scarcely ventured to surmise or which had but recently become clear to himself as however the evangelist often put such prohibitions into the mouth of jesus unseasonably witness the occasion mentioned matthew chapter eight verse four when after a cure effected before a crowd of spectators it was of little avail to enjoin secrecy on the cured it is probable that evangelical tradition enamoured of the mysteriousness that lay in this incognito of jesus unhistorically multiplied the instances of its adoption end of section sixty two